me ask you to take your Bibles and turn again to Revelation chapter 4 and 5. We can talk a lot in the church about witnessing for Christ. We can talk a lot about working for Christ. But until we worship Christ, our witnessing and our working will never be all that they are supposed to be. For our witnessing and our working must flow out of our worship. The book of Revelation is a book of worship. While it begins with warnings and it tells us about coming wrath, it is primarily telling us about what is going on in heaven and what we will do for all eternity as we gather around the throne of God and as we worship him and bring honor to his name. Now John does not tell us in this book how to worship. He does not give us liturgical styles or preferences. He merely tells us what the eternal essence of worship is. It is to proclaim the worthiness of the Son of God. It is to give honor and glory and power to the Lamb that has been slain. He is telling us that worship is going to be different there than it is now. Right now we have people who can't sing. You stood by one probably this morning. But there we'll all be able to sing and nobody will be offended by our voices. Right now we have to make announcements. Won't be any announcements in heaven. Praise God. Right now we have to have a bulletin. There we will know as he knows. We won't have to pick up a hymnal. We won't have to look at any words, for he will have written them in our hearts. Right now we have watches that go off to tell the preacher what hour it is. <laughs> then we won't have preachers or watches, but we'll all be in the choir singing praise and honor and worship and glory to the name of God. And God is giving us these words to acquaint us with what we will be doing for all eternity. He gives us insight in Revelation 4 and 5 of the beginning of the end. Even as I speak, one organization, Evangelism Explosion, is now in every country of the world except North Korea. And they are in North Korea unofficially. And Jesus said when the gospel is preached to every nation, these signs and these things will begin to take place. That his coming is near. And for the first time since Jesus left this earth, the gospel is being proclaimed in every nation on the face of this earth. So what we do in worship today is preparation for what we could be doing in the twinkling of an eye. Our worship today is preparation for our worship for all eternity. For when the gospel has been preached, Jesus says, you better watch out because I'm coming back. And so if he is unrolling the scroll even now, let us look at his word and see what he says to us through John and through the vision that John had about how we are to worship. Look at verse 8 of Revelation chapter 4. Well, let's begin with verse 1. I'm just going to go ahead and 
We'll start with verse 1. After these things, and that was the reference to the warnings to the seven churches, after these things I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I had heard, like the sound of a trumpet speaking with me, said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after these things. Immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne was standing in heaven, and one sitting on the throne. And he who was sitting was like a jasper stone, and a sardius in appearance. And there was a rainbow around the throne, like an emerald in appearance. And around the throne were twenty-four thrones, and upon the thrones I saw twenty-four elders sitting, clothed in white garments and golden crowns on their heads. And from the throne proceed flashes of lightning and sounds and peals of thunder. And there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was, as it were, a sea of glass like crystal. And in the center and around the throne four living creatures full of eyes in front and behind. And the first creature was like a lion, and the second like a calf. The third had a face like that of a man, and the fourth creature was like a flying eagle. And the four living creatures, each one of them having six wings, and full of eyes around and within, and day and night they do not cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God the Almighty, who was and who is and who is to come. Something that you need to know about Revelation, and that is the word throne is a key word in the book of Revelation. It's about who is sitting on the throne, who will sit on the throne, who will reign and rule both now and in eternity. It is a word that appears 14 times in chapter 4 alone. It appears 46 times in the entire book. The throne of God, the creator, the redeemer, is worthy of our worship because he sits on the throne. Revelation chapter 4 tells us about worship at the throne. Look again at verse 1. He says to John, come up here. And then in verse 2, John says, Immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne was standing in heaven, and one sitting on the throne. Now what's going on around the throne? John describes it as he talks about the glory and the majesty of God and what God is doing and what is going on around him. Let me just give you a little insight. This is not in your notes, but maybe it will help you a little bit. The stones speak of the glory of God. When you see the reference to the stones around the throne, they are references to the glory of God. Secondly, the rainbow reminds us of the covenant of God. God's covenant with Noah after the flood. When he made a covenant with man, they remind us of the covenant with God. The 24 elders most likely represent the 12 tribes of Israel and the 12 apostles. It pictures for us the Old and New Testament saints joined together giving praise and glory and honor to the Almighty God. The Old and New Testament blended together, not two separate books, one book both revealing God's plan of redemption for man from
from Genesis to Revelation, the story of the Word of God is about God the Creator who became God the Son, who gave His life on a cross so that you and I could have redemption through the Son and live with Him forever in eternity. Whether you're reading Genesis chapter 1 or Revelation chapter 22, the message is the same. And the 24 gathered around the throne give us a picture of all the things of Scripture pulled together, bowing before the throne of the great God. The four living creatures tell us about the holiness of God. And they are gathered to sing praises to Him. As you read Revelation, you'll find at least ten songs of praise in this one book. Songs of praise to God, the host of heaven, the creatures of heaven, all bowing before God and worshiping the one who is worthy of worship. Now there are three things about God revealed here. First of all, God is holy. God is holy. He says, holy, holy, holy. It's a triple utterance. It's an adjective that intensifies the statement. What he's saying is, God is very, very, very holy. Do you believe that God is a holy God? That he hates sin. And he hated sin so much that he loved man and sent his son to die so that man lost in sin could see a holy God because apart from Jesus Christ, man can never see God. He cannot go into the presence of God, but because of Christ, man can understand that God is holy and can walk with God. He is very, very, very holy. However holy you think holy is, he is three times that holy. He is not only holy, he is sovereign. Lord God Almighty, that phrase is used six times in the book of Revelation. Almighty is used nine times. It represents his sovereign control and the rule of God over all things. Now let me be honest with you. Many of us have a tendency to be, well, let's say, to have an unholy familiarity with God. While God is our Heavenly Father, and Jesus said when you talk to the Father, you call Him Abba, Father, or you can say Daddy. There is still a reverence and respect and a holiness and a sovereignty about God that makes us be able to go to Him as Father, but He is a Holy Father. He is a Heavenly Father. He is not flawed as our earthly fathers are flawed. He does not make mistakes like our earthly fathers make mistakes. He is a holy and righteous father. And when he is just the big man upstairs or the big guy, we have developed an unholy familiarity with God. God is holy. God is sovereign. He's in control of all things. There's nothing out of his control. God never says, I never thought of that. God never says, oops. God never says, I missed that one. You never hear God saying, I should have been there when you needed me, but I was just too busy. God is sovereign, and God, thirdly, is eternal. Who was, and who is, and who is to come. The scripture says he's the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. He never had a beginning. He never has an end. God is eternal. We had a beginning we will live for all eternity. 
But we have an end in this life. God never had a beginning. There was never a time when God was not. There will never be a time when God is not. God always is. He revealed himself in the Old Testament as I am. Not I was, not I will be, but I am. He is eternal. He is to be worshipped. Verse 9. And when the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, to him who lives forever and ever. Notice what happens. The 24 elders will fall down before him who sits on the throne and will worship him who lives forever and ever and will cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and because of your will they existed and were created. What is the proper response to revelation? It is submission. Submission of our lives, submission of ourselves. We bow before God, we fall before Him in His wonder and in His power and in His might. In Revelation chapter 4, they are falling down before the one on the throne, the Lord God Almighty. In Revelation chapter 5, they fall down before the Lamb, the Son of God, Jesus Christ. In Revelation 4, it is before the Father. In Revelation 5, it is before the Son. But he is worshipped. Worthy are you, our Lord and our God. Now notice in verse 10, they will cast their crowns before the throne. This was something that was very familiar to these people. A defeated king would take his crowns, which symbolized his authority and his power, and he would place them at the feet of the king who had conquered him as an admission of submission. You and I will stand before God just as these stand before God in Revelation 4 and any crown that we might have earned in this life we will not wear. We will take it off and put it at the feet of Jesus but because it's because of Him that we even have one. The crown of life will be placed at His feet. The crown of righteousness will be placed at His feet. It is a bowing down and submitting before Him. Now notice what they say when they bow down. Worthy art thou, our Lord and our God. Now, worthy is a comparative concept. What it really means is you're good enough. Now, when I first studied that and tried to examine that, that, that caught me a little funny. To say that God is good enough. Because in our culture, we just kind of say, ah, oh, that, that's good enough. And usually that means, well, it's okay, it's acceptable, we'll live with it, we'll put up with it. But that's not what this word means. It means that there are things that are not good enough to be worshipped. And there is one who is good enough to be worshipped. One who is worthy of our worship and worthy of our praise. He is good enough. The one who sits on the throne is good enough for glory and for honor and power. He is good enough because he is the God of creation. He is good enough because he is the God of redemption. He's good enough. I mean, you don't have to go anywhere. Anything else you worship is not good enough for worship. But the worship of the one who sits on the throne, that's good enough to worship. Then he says, our Lord and our God. Now, this phrase would ring a bell with John's audience. For Domitian was the Roman emperor of the time. And Domitian wanted the people to worship him as Lord and God. When he passed people on the street, he wanted people to say, Dominus et Deus, Lord and God. 
Domitian, his dominus et deus, Lord and God. And when he passed Christians, they would not say that, for they only had one Lord and one God. The reason the Christians were persecuted was because of all the religions and of all the cults in the Roman Empire. They would not kneel down before Caesar and give him worship that was due only to the God that had saved their soul. God was worthy of worship, our Lord and our God. Someone asked a deaf mute one time, why do you come to church? And he said, I show up every week so people will know whose side I'm on. Do people know whose side you're on? You see, there are all kinds of things that pull at us to say, be on this side, do this, go here, do that, give your allegiance to this, give your loyalty to this, invest your time at this, but whose side are you on? Your time, your talents, your energy reveals whose side you're on. Revelation 4 is worship at the throne. Revelation 5 is worship of the Lamb. Now notice the Lamb who is worthy of worship. Now the scene changes in Revelation chapter 5, and John sees one with a scroll, and there's writing on the front and the back of this scroll, and it's sealed with seven seals. Now inside this scroll are revealed what God is about to do to bring things to an end on this earth. And it is the title deed of all that God has promised to his son. Now, look at what it says. Who is worthy to open the book and break the seals? Now, remember that word worthy. Who's good enough? Who is holy enough? Who is pure enough? Who is righteous enough? Who is morally fit enough? Who is unstained to be righteous enough to open the seals of this book and to tell us what God has planned. And notice verses 3 and 4. No one was worthy. Not in heaven, not on earth, not under the earth. And John began to weep. But you see, there was one that was worthy. He is what is known in the scriptures as our kinsman redeemer. Kinsman meaning that he became one of us. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. He is our kinsman. He identified with us in the flesh. He is our redeemer. He gave his physical life up and died to pay the price for our sins so that he could redeem us. He became like us in that he became flesh, but he did not sin. He redeemed us in that he took our sin on himself and bore the price of sin in his body, our kinsman redeemer. And so in verse 5 you see, and one of the elders said to me, stop weeping. Can you imagine that God has something that he wants to do and no one is worthy to tell us what that is? And the elder says, stop weeping. Behold, the lion that is from the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has overcome so as to open the book and its seven seals. And I saw between the throne with the four living creatures and the elders a lamb standing as if slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he came and he took it out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. You know what I like about these verses? It tells me a lot about Jesus. 
It tells me that when I need him, he always steps up. It tells me that when I need him, he always shows up. That when I am hopeless and when I am weeping, that there's a voice inside of me in the Holy Spirit that says, stop your weeping. There's one here that can meet your need. Stop your weeping. There's one here that can answer your prayers. Stop your weeping. There's one here that is worthy of your allegiance and your loyalty and your worship. Listen, watch, and learn, for here is one who is worthy to reveal the secrets of God. Now, why is he worthy of worship? Notice some phrases here. First of all, the lion of the tribe of Judah. Now, that speaks of his strength and of his power. It is a reference to his Old Testament. The lion of the tribe of Judah, the power of God, the strength of God, the might of God, and then the root of David speaks of his fulfillment of all the messianic prophecies. I've told you this before. It bears repeating again. If you were to take the state of Texas and cover it three feet deep in silver dollars and take one silver dollar and mark it and throw it in there and mix it all up and walk around the state of Texas by yourself and reach down, and with the first time you reach down, you pick up that silver dollar that you marked. The chances of you doing that, well, they're unbelievable. But that's also about the chance of one person fulfilling one-third of the prophecies of Messiah. And Jesus Christ fulfilled every one of them on the first try. He didn't have to come back and try to figure it out again. I mean, the first time he stepped on earth, he marked it with his cross, and he reached down with his hand of love, and he said, I'll pick you up, and I'll redeem you, and he holds us up as his trophy that when he reaches down and touches something, he gets hold of it for good. God is worthy to be worshipped because he is of the root of David. Now notice, he is a lamb standing as if slain. Now that word slain means violently slain. It means brutalized. We hear a lot in our culture about brutality and about abuse and about violence, and we live in a violent world. Man hates man. Man is against man. An article in, uh, I think it was either U.S. News or Newsweek a couple of weeks ago, on what violence and guns and all of that is costing America. One man sitting in a car shot 13 times. By the time he got out of the hospital, his medical bill was $562,000 paid for by us. We understand brutality. You don't have to tell anybody in America about violence. But Jesus was more violently treated than any man who has ever lived. He was brutalized. He was abused. He was crucified. He was left alone by God his Father. In fact, Isaiah said he was so beaten that he didn't even have the appearance of a man. But notice, he was a lamb standing as if slain. Now that word lamb there literally means a little pet lamb. Some of you grew up in the country and you were around goats and sheep and cows and chickens and all those kind of things. And Some of you remember or you knew somebody or your grandmother told you or your kids told you or you read it in a book somewhere or just forget it, just stay with me. 
some of you remember picking up a little pet lamb. You ever, did you ever pick up a little lamb? Anybody? Anybody ever pick up a little lamb? Okay, there are 12 people here who know what I'm talking about. You know, a little lamb is just helpless. Their legs are kind of wobbly, and they kind of just kind of stumble around. They depend on other people to get them to where they need to go, and, and this is a picture of a little pet lamb. This would be like somebody's house pet lamb. What he says is, is that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, loved us so much that he became a helpless lamb in the hands of violent men so that he could save those violent men. He let them take them in his arms, and rather than love him, they beat him. And rather than take care of him, they abused him. And they plucked his beard out, and they placed a crown of thorn on his head, and they hung him on a cross and let him die. He is a lamb slain, and he is worthy of worship because he is a lamb and a lion. Now these are symbolic pictures. When you think of a lion, you think of power. When you think of a lamb, you think of weakness. Now here's what he's saying. In glory, heaven is never calculated by man's terms. In glory, the lamb, the supreme symbol of weakness, will rule like a lion the supreme symbol of power. If somebody opened up that back door and let a lamb in here today, it would cause a little bit of a disturbance. But after all, somebody could pick it up and say, oh, we'll handle it, we'll handle it. Oh, preacher, don't worry about it. Some usher get it, pick it up and take it out and, and put it back inside a pen. But if somebody opened that door and a lion came through the door, you'd be jumping pews. And it wouldn't be because you're praising God. I mean, we would be running for the exits. We would make doors where there are no doors in this church. Why? Because a lion is a symbol of power. He's the king of the beasts. And what John is saying is the one who stands at the throne, by the throne of the Father, he is a lamb, meek, merciful, gracious, loving. But he rules like a lion. And he judges like a lion. And he has power and might like a lion. Here's the one who is worthy of worship. Now the word lamb is used 28 times in Revelation. Let me just ask you to walk with me through Revelation very quickly. We won't look at all the references. I just want you to see some of them. Look at verse 12. 28 times the word is used. First time in Romans, I mean, Revelation 5, 12. The heavenly choirs sing... Worthy is the Lamb. Look at chapter 6 and verse 16. Chapter 6 and verse 16 talks about God's wrath. And he talks about the wrath of the Lamb. Chapter 7 and verse 14. Chapter 7 and verse 14. The tribulation saints are cleansed by the blood of of the Lamb. The blood of the Lamb. Chapter 19 and verse 7. Chapter 19 and verse 7. 
the story is consummated with what? The marriage of the Lamb. The marriage of the Lamb. In chapter 19, he talks about the marriage of the Lamb. We're going to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Chapter 21 and verse 9. Chapter 21 and verse 9. The scriptures tell us that the church is the bride of the Lamb. And in chapter 22 and verse 1 and verse 3, the heavenly throne is the throne of God and of the Lamb. Now, folks, let me tell you something. If you take the blood out, you take the Lamb out. And if you take the Lamb out, there's no Lamb's book of life. And if there's no Lamb's book of life, we're all lost and sinners without hope. And we don't have any chance of ever getting to heaven because you can't have the Bible without having Jesus as the Lamb slain before the foundation of the earth. Look at the quote by Warren Wiersbe. The description of the Lamb, if pictured literally by an artist, would provoke a grotesque picture, but when understood symbolically, conveys spiritual truth. Since seven is the number of perfection, we have here perfect power, seven horns, perfect wisdom, seven eyes, and perfect presence, seven spirits in all the earth. The theologians would call these qualities omnipotence, omniscience, and omnipresence. And all three are attributes of God. The Lamb is God the Son, Christ Jesus. Now, notice he is worthy of worship, and he is worthy of new worship. Of new worship. Look at verse 9. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the book and to break its seals. For you were slain. And purchased for God with your blood men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to our God, and they will reign upon the earth. For three things. First of all, worthy of a new song. Now that word new doesn't mean recent. It means new in kind. A song that hasn't existed before. A new song. He is worthy of a new song. It is a worship hymn that ascribes to the Lord the glory due his name. Notice what they sing. In this great new song of praise, you were slain. They sing about the cross. They sing about the blood. They sing about salvation. They sing about redemption. And they're not ashamed of it. Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to the Jew first and then to the Greek. We are not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We proclaim it every way, in every means, at every time that we can. Why? Because he was slain, and he was slain for me, and he was slain for you. Now notice who sings this song. Every tribe and tongue and people and nation. What that tells me is, is that the great commission of Jesus is fulfilled. When we get to this point, the great commission of Jesus will be fulfilled. Someone from every tribe and every tongue and every nation will sing, Worthy is the Lamb. It tells me that John 3.16 has been fulfilled. He says that we are a kingdom and priest to our God. The word kingdom means we have access to God. We're royal heirs, joint heirs with Christ as sons of God, adopted into the family. We are priests. We have been set apart for the king. It is not only worthy of a new song, it is worthy of an angelic song in verse 11. 
Then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels. By the way, there are a lot of people here in angels today that just ate a lot of Mexican food and didn't get over it. They're not hearing angels. They're hearing demons disguised as angels. When you meet a real angel, you'll meet Jesus. You won't channel with somebody who's dead. You'll talk to a king who is alive. Because the angels have one purpose, to give glory to God and to serve at his beck and call. And the angels around the throne and the living creatures and the elders and the number of them was myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands. That's more than bushels and bushels, by the way. If in South Georgia we'd say, that's a whole bunch of folks. They were myriads and myriads and thousands of thousands. John didn't have time to count, but he knew there was a whole bunch of angels up there. And look at what they were doing. And they were saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And every created thing which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and on the sea and all the things in them I heard saying to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and dominion forever and ever. And the four living creatures kept saying, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. Now, from every corner of creation is going to come the sound of worship and praise. In verse 13, Jesus the Son and God the Father are linked together in verse 13. Look at it. To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Now, verse 14 tells us the four living creatures kept saying, Amen. Now, we know that the four living creatures are not Baptists. Because you have to ask Baptists to say Amen. The four living creatures just do it on their own. So I don't know who they are, but they don't have to be begged to say Amen. They just keep saying Amen. Now, tie verse 14 and verse 12 together. Verse 12 is a seven-fold doxology. And if you will read verse 12 and verse 14 together, it would read something like this. Power, amen. Riches, amen. Wisdom, amen. Might, amen. Honor, amen. Glory, amen. And blessing, amen. That's right. So be it. You're right, Lord. And it was with a loud voice that they were giving the doxology, and the four elders were doing it with a loud voice. They were trying to outshout each other. Hey, when you're in the presence of God, you do want Him to know you're there, don't you? You do want to give Him the worship that is worthy of Him, don't you? I mean, they just kept saying, Amen, 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 Amen. I tell you what, if, if, if churches do that, they work preachers into a frenzy. Why do they say Amen? Because it means so be it, or that's right. God is worthy of all of this, so be it. That's right, Amen. Not only is it worship with a new song and worthy of an angelic song, but there's a third one. And 
that is that he is worthy of our worship. Now, notice something. You're not mentioned in Revelation 4 and 5. Or are you? You see, if your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life, then one day, when God brings our life and this world to an end, we are going to be gathered around the throne with the great cloud of witnesses and with the elders and with the living creatures and with the angels. And we will join millions and millions, not thousands and thousands, but millions and millions in saying, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Lord, you're worthy to receive glory and honor and riches and power and wisdom and blessings. You see, your name's not in Revelation. Or is it? If it is, then worship is what you're going to be doing for all eternity. Worship is something that's going to be a part of your life. Oh, we'll serve him there. We don't know what all that means, but I do know this. There will be an ever present worship going on in heaven. Let me ask you, did your worship today and your worship this past week prepare you for what you think you want to do for all eternity? If you didn't want to spend time with him this past week, why do you think you want to spend time with him for all eternity? You see, heaven is not a fire escape from hell. Heaven is a place where you enjoy the presence of Jesus. And if you don't enjoy the presence of Jesus now, you won't enjoy the presence of Jesus then. For worship is reserved for worshipers who have been bought by the blood of the Lamb. Would you stand with me with heads bowed and eyes closed, please? The Lord God Almighty and the Lamb slain are worthy of our worship. Now I want to read, before we begin our invitation, some words from Revelation 4 and 5. And after I read them, I'd like to ask you to repeat them out loud as a prayer. During this invitation time, as a prayer from your lips out loud, to the ear of God. Would you just repeat after me, please? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, because you were slain, and with your blood you purchased men for God. 
from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God. And they will reign on the earth. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth, wisdom and strength, honor and glory and praise. To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Thank you for joining us for this series on worship. I pray it's been a blessing to your life. The Word of God has much to say about the subject of worship, and we want to encourage you to join us each week and find out what God is saying to you about how you can learn to worship Him. This has been a blessing to you. Would you write us, please? at the address on your screen. We'd love to hear from you and know that God has used this message in your life. Until next week, God bless you.